Lord. Are we taking a, is this our, oh no, this is not our last Sunday. I kept thinking it was our last Sunday. Praise God. All right. Really hope all of you can stay over, if you can, for our fellowship this afternoon. And also, I, I really want to encourage you guys uh, to, if you can, I, I think it's important that if you're part of the New Life Fellowship, we have this uh, financial uh, accountability and this financial meeting. Uh, so you all know where our finances go and what we do. And it's a yearly meeting that we do every year. It's important that you know, as members of this church, where the finances go and, and just... It's a time also not only where John and we're sharing about these things, but it's a time where if you have questions, we, we want you to feel free to ask. I hope you can stay for that. We only do that once a year. And also, I wanted to let everybody know this coming Wednesday night, I'm starting a series on the parables of Jesus. And I'm going to be doing a series through the spring here on the parables of Jesus. I'm going to be looking into the Word of God on these very important... How many of you have ever read some parables in the gospel? Amen. How many of you know those parables are very important? When Jesus used those parables to bring understanding concerning the kingdom of God, and uh, it also helps us to understand how we as followers of Christ are to live our lives. So I really pray you'll be able to come. And next Sunday, amen, again, a time for fellowship, food, and bring your kites and pray for wind. Amen. Praise God. If not, John and I are going to run real fast. <laughs> so we're going to have a good time. I know some of you are going to probably hold me to that word right there. But uh... <laughs> amen. Isn't God good? Yes. Are you happy to be alive? Amen. It's 2014. Jesus reigns. He's on the throne. Praise God. And I know He reigns in your house, doesn't He? Praise God. He's given you vision. He's put something in your heart. And I just believe the Holy Spirit is breathing on us. He's speaking to us a now word. And the Bible says, today, if you will hear His voice, don't harden, don't shut down your heart. But if you have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Because God is speaking, and whenever God ever speaks, whatever He ever says, whenever He's ever speaking, it's always a word to bring increase in your life. It's always a word that gives direction or guidance to bring you into a large land, a a wonderful, a beautiful land. That's, That's the kind of God we serve. Do you know that every time you serve God, it takes you up? Everyone say up. Amen. I don't know. How many of you have ever read the story of Jonah? I was reading the story of Jonah last week. It says that when Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord, it says that it took him down to Tarsus, and he went down to the ships, and then he went down to the ship, and down to the bottom of the boat, and eventually it took him down into the deep, into the belly of the fish. (laughs) So anytime we run from God, it takes us down. But when you follow Jesus, it always takes you up. Everyone say up. Up. Praise God. God wants to take us up this morning. Let's let's pray and we're going to go right into the word this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. We thank you for the indwelling of your presence. Father, we thank you that, that you've given us your love, your great love and your peace. 
Lord, you've given us a word. You've given us, Lord, a revelation of who you are. And, Lord, you've come to change and transform us, Lord, so that our lives can be a light to shine in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Jump with me in your Bibles to James, the book of James, chapter 3. James, chapter 3. I'm on a series entitled Family Power. Can you all say that with me? Family Power. Say it with me. Family Power. You know, uh, one of the things, one of the, if you go to any bookstore, Barnes and Nobles, Christian, you'll find that subjects on subjects on family or relationships are so popular today because it's it's a necessary need. And one of the things that the Lord wants to do is He wants to strengthen our relationships, doesn't He? And uh, when we talk about the cross, when we talk about the kingdom of God. Jesus said to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That means it's within our reach. And when Jesus used the word kingdom, he was talking about the domain or the very aspect of heaven. And God was saying, Jesus was saying, repent. And Jesus himself not only was the extension of the Father, the extension of that kingdom... But he came to bring the message, and also he came to display the very life of the kingdom through himself, so that all of us who would receive him would be able to live and experience the fulfillment and the fullness of that kind of kingdom. And the ultimate, ultimate purpose of the kingdom was to captivate and to change your environment, and to affect the atmosphere around you. Amen? Amen. My first series on this series on family power is developing or empowering the kingdom of God or a kingdom of God atmosphere or the kingdom of God culture or environment. All of you right now, all of you carry an environment. Do you know that? All of you carry an atmosphere with you. Whatever spirit is in you, whatever spirit is on you, you carry that spirit. Now Jesus said, I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. In other words, the spirit, the atmosphere, the environment, because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was always to bring increase. It was to make you larger. It was to expand your faith, your mind, your vision. I'm a large man, not just physically, but I'm thinking larger. I'm looking larger. I'm living larger. My wife, my marriage with my wife, we've been married for 36 years, and we went on a cruise here a couple of weeks ago, and we just had the time of our life together on this cruise. And one of the things I was, I remember I was sitting on the, in the on the sun deck with my wife, and we were holding hands in the sun. And, and uh, one of the things that was so neat, I, I, I kind of think we were the only ones on this particular deck, uh, where we could just, you know, just sit there in the sun and have fun. But we didn't have to have booze in our hand. Amen. We didn't have to get sauced up to have a nice vacation. Yeah. I didn't need to get drunk because we're full of the Spirit of God. Amen. I'd rather be drunk with the new wine than been 
drunk with some other kind of wine that, that actually causes you anyway just to get numb. And uh, there's no joy in it anyway. And after that, you've got a hangover to deal with. But praise God. When you're filled with the Spirit of God and your bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's amazing what peace, joy, and righteousness you have in the Holy Ghost. Now, Jesus said this, that the kingdom of God does not come with observation, but it comes with power and the kingdom of God is within you. Everyone say within me. Really important for me to understand that because we're going to talk about how the kingdom of God is developed, how it grows, how I begin to carry the atmosphere of the kingdom. How do I develop an atmosphere? So the question is this morning is what is the environment in your home like? What kind of an atmosphere do you emit? All of us emit something. We're, we're emitting faith. We're, we're giving off faith. Or we could be giving off fear. We could be giving off just kind of a... If faith is not present in our life, Smith Wigglesworth said that a believer is either moving forward and increasing in volume in the knowledge of Jesus and growing in grace, or we're standing still, or we're going backwards. And one of the things God wants us to do is always come into a place of increase. He wants the volume of joy. He wants the volume of life. He wants you to be experiencing that abundant life. Amen? Amen. So I, I really believe that. I, I remember years ago when I got married to my wife. And uh, when I came into my marriage, and I was married to her, our first and second year was really challenging. We were both raised in Christian homes. But when I got married to Carol, I didn't realize that I had some stuff in my life. Uh, that was not dealt with. How many of you know that relationships have a tendency to bring out what's inside of you? Now, a lot of people can't deal with that. They run. When, when they get into relationships, they end up running. And God never intended for you to run from the problem. But what He intended for you to do was to grow in the problem and allow His Spirit upon you to begin to make some transitions and begin to metamorphose and Bring about that transition where the Word of God is glorified as you begin to continue to yield to Him. Amen? We don't, we don't run from the problem. So, so I, I, I think it's important. I remember when, when uh, we went through some problems, I, I myself had begun to emit fear. And I begin to emit some, some serious insecurity and uh, our, our tension and oppression and... Uh, issues, relational issues begin to rise in our home. How many of you know like the body? When your body has a virus in it, guess what happens? Your body gets a fever. The, the, when it heats up, your body heats up, it's because your body is fighting a virus. Well, my wife and I were going through a lot of heat, amen, in our marriage. And the reason was, is because the Holy Spirit was allowing some things to surface in my life and the Lord kept saying to me, said, Ray, one word, one word says, yield, yield, Ray, yield. And I said, Lord, I don't want to let go of control. I want to control things. And I'll tell you, it was hell. But finally, amen, through the love of God and his grace. How many of you know God's grace was intended to break you in a good way? 
You know, God's love and His grace breaks you, not through punishment, not through fear, but His love began to touch my heart. And because of God's goodness and His grace, it was the thing that began to break down some walls of fear and walls of pride. The Bible says, wherever there is pride, there is strife. And I had a lot of strife and I had a lot of issues. And I didn't know, even though I was raised in a Christian home, I did not know how broken of a man I was. I didn't understand that. And the Lord said, Ray, I want you to trust me. And the one thing God spoke to me in those days, He says, I, I want to begin to develop inside of you something. I want to begin to bring life in you so that life will begin to flow from you. How many of you know that we all carry something? And what we carry is what we emit. Now, um, I, I want to take you through the scripture in uh, the book of James. Notice what it says in the book of James. A really important principle, James chapter 3, verse 11. Does a spring of water bubble out first with fresh water and bitter water? Can you pick olives from a fig tree or figs from a grapevine? By the way, I'm reading out of the New Living Bible just to let you know that. No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty pool. In other words, he's saying whatever your source is, is what is you're going to emit, what you're going to produce. Verse 13 says, if you are wise. How many people want to be wise out there? Amen. I, want to be, I don't want to be a fool. It says, if you are wise, live a life of steady goodness, so that only good deeds will pour forth. And if you don't brag about them, then you will be truly wise. And by all means, don't brag about being wise and good if you are bitter and jealous and selfish. That is worse. That is the worst sort of lie. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, inspired by the devil. For whatever there is, wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every other kind of evil. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Everyone say pure. The wisdom that comes from heaven. Now what James is referring to is the source. If we're going to see the kingdom of God develop a healthy environment, I need to know where my source is. Everyone say source. I need to know what my source is. Is it earthly, sensual, and devilish, which produces selfish ambition, fightings and quarrels, or does it produce something pure? He goes on here to say, For the wisdom that comes from heaven is first pure, full of quiet gentleness. Then it is peace-loving and courtes uh, cur uh, courtesy, not curious, but... It's courtesy. It allows discussion and is willing to yield to others. Everyone say yield. This is the wisdom or this is the kind of fruit that comes from heaven. Or the wisdom, it says, it yields to others. It allows discussion. It doesn't shut anybody down. And is willing to yield. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It is wholehearted and straightforward and sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. 
What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Isn't it because there is a whole army of evil desires within you? You want what you don't have, so you kill to get it. You long for what others have, and you can't afford it, so you start a fight to take it away from them. And yet the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole aim is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You are like an unfaithful wife who loves her husband's enemies. Don't you realize that making friends with God's enemies, or in the King James it says making friends with the world, uh, become evil pleasures of this world, you become enemies with God. Makes you an enemy with God. Excuse me. I'll say it again. That if your aim is to enjoy the evil pleasure or the culture around us of the unsaved world, you cannot be a friend of God. What do you think the scripture means when it says that the Holy Spirit, whom God has placed within us, watches over us with tender jealousy? But he gives us more and more strength to stand against all such evil longings As the scripture says, God gives strength to the humble, but he sets himself against the proud and the haughty. Let me go on to read the next couple of verses, kind of ties in. So give yourself humbly to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Let your hearts be filled with God alone to make them pure and true in him. Let there be tears for the wrong things you've done. Let there be sorrow and sincere grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Then when you realize your worthlessness before the Lord, He will lift you up and encourage and help you. Father, we thank you for the reading of the word. We pray, Lord, that the word of God will just be a foundation that we can build on this morning. I ask you, Lord, for the spirit of God to quicken our minds, to quicken our hearts this morning to quicken our faith, give us vision on how we are to live and conduct our life and really follow you. And everyone said, amen. Amen. When we follow Jesus, the Bible says that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Amen. And when you follow Jesus, it always brings you to an end where you're going to start looking like him. All of you this morning are looking like who you worship. Whatever you worship is what you're going to become like. There are some principles that I want to share something with you. Psalms 133, it says this. This speaks about environment right here. It says, Beloved, how beautiful it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the anointing oil that came off of the head of Aaron and flowed to his beard and down upon his garments. Three times in Psalms 133, it says that the anointing oil flows down. I want everyone to say this. What is on the head flows down. It's an important principle. And he says when there's unity, it is an anointing that begins to touch every aspect of your life. What's ever on the head. If you're the head of your house, if you were a leader in your home, 
If you are a father, a mother, doesn't matter if you're single or married or not, whatever is on the head, in the head, comes down. It's going to affect the rest of the body. It's going to affect your relationship. It will affect your finances. It will affect the peace in your home. It's going to affect the neighbors around you. It's going to affect your children. Whatever on the head. That's what Psalms 133. But he says, how beautiful. It is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Everyone say unity. unity. There's another principle found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, be not deceived. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he also If we sow into the flesh, we will, it with the flesh, reap corruption which leads to death. But he who sows to the Spirit will reap life, everlasting peace and joy. How many of you would like to have that kind of peace? Now these are principles in God's Word. If I'm going to see the presence, the environment... Amen. Part of family power is me taking ownership to what I'm emitting as a leader. By the way, not just leaders. It could be a high school young person. You can be anybody. All of us, based upon what is influencing our lives, has a direct effect on the atmosphere we carry. Wherever Jesus went, do you know he carried an atmosphere? He carried an environment. And he was always looking at people. And when he would look at people, even in the worst condition, Jesus would always see the best in them. He would always bring out the best. Jesus never left anybody just the way they were unless they didn't want what he had to offer. Jesus always left people better. He raised the dead. He healed the leper. He brought life. He gave hope to people. Even when Peter had a bad day fishing, Jesus was able to bring the fish to the boat. The Bible said that Peter was able to put fish in the boat. It was called a boat-seeking, net-breaking kind of favor that God brought into Peter's life. All because of association in the environment that he was in. God wants us to understand the power of environment. The power of association. And it's so important. I, I remember a, a, a couple years ago... There was a woman, I was in my office here, and Carol and I, we were here, and I had a woman come in a uh, particular nice car. She knocked on the door of our church, and she said, uh, uh, Pastor, can I just come and ask you a few questions? Uh, and the first thing she asked is, by the way, do you counsel for free? And I said, yeah, we don't charge for counseling. And she said, good. And so she comes down to my office, and we're sitting down there, and and uh, Carol was there, and she began to ask me a series of questions, and she says this. This, this is how she prefaces what she wants to ask me. She says, I, I know that this is a Christian church, and you're uh, probably a religious man, but I need some help, but I don't want you to give me any religion or Bible. I just need some help because I'm in some real deep trouble. I said, oh, Okay. Well, I, I don't know how you're going to really get the kind of answers from me because I'm a Bible-believing man for a reason. But by the way, I do agree with you. I'm not into religion either. But she began to go on. She says, I've been married to this man for about five years, and for some reason he doesn't love me anymore. We've had a little girl together. He doesn't love me anymore, and he's just kind of, he's leaving me. He's going out drinking and drugging and 
gang-banging and messing around with some guys in the neighborhood, and, and I just don't understand why. And then he, she, she slips on this. She says, I don't know why my boyfriend. So I said, wait, wait a minute. I thought you said you were married. Well, I, I lied, I guess. I, yeah, I'm not married. I, I got a boyfriend. So I said, so you're just living together. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're just living together. And I know you preachers look down on that. I said, well, it's, it's not that I look down on it. It has nothing to do with me looking down on you because you're living like that. It's just that you're just missing what God really had intended for you to experience in the best way of life because you get married. It's not that I'm here to judge you because you're living together. It's that God has a plan for relationships, and he helps us to know how those things work. And I said, uh, uh, so she began to tell me how that they were best of friends in the beginning, and they liked to do things together, and they did everything together. But for some strange reason, over the past several years, he began to drift off, and I began to drift off, and I got so lonely in my marriage and in my relationship. And uh, I, I, I just I started going out with my girlfriend since he was going out with his guy friend. And so I was so angry with that guy, and I started getting some counsel from my girlfriends that what you need to do is you need to do what he's doing to you. And so she, she, you know, he'd go out and he'd cheat on me. So I went out and I cheated on him. And I said, well, how did that go for you? Not very good. I said, well, that wasn't so, such wise counsel. James, remember what James calls it? Earthly, sensual, and devilish. Okay? And uh, she began to tell me how that, you know, they were getting in some financial trouble and and he wasn't accountable with his finances. I thought we were in a relationship where we shared everything, believed everything. Well, he'd start taking money and doing things with money. didn't answer. And I would ask him, where are you going? What are you doing? How are you spending money? And he wouldn't give me any answer. And I got mad. So my girlfriend said, do it back to him. You know what? How many of you heard uh, uh, an eye for an eye? A tooth for a tooth. Well, that's the way the world thinks, doesn't it? That's the wisdom of the world. They do it to you, do it back. And uh, I said, where were you going to get this counsel? Well, I go to the clubs, I go to the bars, I go to my friends. I said, well, how's it working for you now? Well, that's why I'm here to see you, Pastor Ray. So I said, well, I I am kind of confused about why you want to be here. Is it just because you're getting free counsel? Or do you really really want help or do you want a band-aid just to fix the problem? And she says, explain, tell me what you're talking about. And I said, well, first of all, let, let, me, let me give an example. And I, I gave her an example. I, had a, I have an F Ford 150 pickup, an F pickup. Because I said, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not use the Bible, but I'm going to answer this question in a way that may make some sense. I have a pickup, and my pickup was having a problem. I took my pickup to a mechanic, and my, my mechanic knows that when he fixes my truck, he tries to fix my truck, uh, is affordable, and he does a great job. By the way, he's an excellent mechanic over here at World Tech. He does a great job for me. But uh, he put a particular part in my pickup that was connected to this the, the electric brain. How many of you mechanics out there know that every car has a brain to it? There's a brain. I'm not talking about the engine, but there's a, some kind of a computer box in the under the, the motor that has to do with the brain. Well, there's another part that's connected to the brain. Well, my mechanic happened to put an aftermarket part in the Ford, and there was a man in our church at the time, Mike Riga, an awesome mechanic, great guy, good friend. Mike Riga happened to be looking under my pickup, under my hood one day, because I was telling Mike, I said, Mike, for some reason, my mechanic just 
put this part in. For some reason, my, my, my truck keeps dying. I'm going to come up to a stop sign or something, and my, my truck just dies. And so Mike opens the hood. He says, let me take a look at it. He's looking under the hood, and he says, Ray, you don't have the right part under your hood. He's put a Chevrolet part un, for a Ford in your, under your motor or something like that. It was for, for another kind of a vehicle. And so he said, you've got to go back and tell the guy. He's got to go back to the dealership. So I took him back, and Jim said, okay, it's going to cost you more money, Ray. But I thought economy was what you wanted. I did, but I wanted it to work. Anybody ever been there? You know, you're thinking of economy. You want it done cheap. But what, I, I've come to realize you really pay for what you get. And so Jim said, Ray, for me to get the part that you need, I've got to go to the Ford dealership. So he went to the Ford dealership. Guess what? It works. I had to pay for it. But anyway, I told this young lady, I said, do you know for me to get the motor, the car, the truck to work, I had to go back to the original creator that designed, the one who designed the vehicle, who understands the parts, who knew how the thing is put together. And from that plan, from that design, I was able to get a part and get the motor working. The lights came on with that young lady because she had a Lexus, and she was having problems with her Lexus, by the way. And uh, I said, when we have problems, you can fix your life one way. You can piecemeal. You can go to your friends. You can go here and go there and get advice from people that uh, is not proven but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Or you can come to Almighty God and you can have God give you the word of life that is going to begin to bring your relationship and your marriage into a healthy alignment and experience a fresh environment, love, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. And then I took her to this passage that I want you to turn with me. Turn with me to Psalms 128. Psalms 128, I want to show you what an environment looks like that is blessed by the Lord. How many of you want to live in the blessing of the Lord? Amen. Listen, to, now again, I'm reading the Living Bible, but listen to what it says. It says, Psalms 128, blessings, or blessed is the man who fears the Lord. She was kind of rocked by that one. She didn't understand, what, is, what does the fear of the Lord mean? The fear of the Lord doesn't mean that you're living in fear of God or afraid of God. But living in fear means that God is such a priority in your life because of the revelation of how great and how good He is that you honor Him, you respect what He says, He's a priority in your life. In other words, God is first. Everyone say first. Jesus said to seek ye third the kingdom of God. I said, seek ye first. Seek ye first. Notice what it says here. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, in the living it says, who obeys him. Their reward shall be prosperity and happiness. Anybody who wants some reward and happiness out there? I need to pray for the rest of you here. Amen. God says the reward of prosperity and happiness Number one, prosperity. I looked at this young lady. I said, would you like to prosper? She said, yes, I'd like to prosper. I said, guess what? 
The prosperity and the blessing of the Lord is connected to the fear of God. And the fear of the Lord is connected to the wisdom, according to James, that comes down from above. Are you willing to get to that point? Now, folks, let me just say this for some of you who may... We're not talking about dead works here. We're not talking about the righteousness of God in Christ. We're not talking about you doing something to earn something. Amen? That has already been taken care of at the cross. Jesus Christ has already given us the riches of His grace and the gift of righteousness. I'm not, I'm not doing anything to earn righteousness. What I'm doing here, based on the book of James, is so that the blessing of the Lord will rest on my life. Just because, how many of you know that there's a lot of believers today in the body of Christ that are truly born again, they're righteous, and they're sons and daughters of the kingdom, but they live not under the blessing of God. And it's because they're walking and living in disobedience. The Bible says that if you you obey, it didn't say that you'll be righteous. He says if you obey, you'll be blessed. Amen? Amen? Really important. There's a big difference there. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that he saved me by grace through faith from dead works so that I would become his workmanship to serve him with good works. Big difference. He saved me from dead works so I would begin to serve the Lord and I would begin to live him from a position of victory and righteousness, not because I have to, but because I want to. And so I align. See, God still doesn't take over my will. The second thing the Lord begins to do, and notice the second blessing here, because of this alignment, He now deals with my wife. Everyone say, my wife. Oh, that was sweet. Praise God, Lord help us. Amen. Your wife shall be content in your home, and look at all those children. Praise God. It says your wife will be happy and fruitful. In other words, there is going to come from a man who fears the Lord. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that we don't have bumps and challenges and some squabbles and quarrels. We all have that. But the Bible is saying that your relationship horizontally is going to be fruitful. Thirdly, he talks about the kids. Look at those children. They sit around the dinner table, vigorous and healthy as young olive trees. There is God's reward to those who reverence and trust Him. May the Lord continually bless you with heaven's blessings as well as with uh, human joys. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren and may God bless Israel. Can you say amen there? Amen. Amen. What God is saying here is this, that He's going to touch relationships horizontally. When When a man's ways please the Lord. When we begin to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Now, I know that you're accepted in the beloved and He loves you and He does accept you. But it's, it's kind of like having kids. You know, I've always loved my kids. But my kids have not always pleased me. There's times when my kids didn't always please me. But that doesn't change my love for them. That doesn't mean I kick them out of my house. I love them all the time. But they have not always pleased me. Amen. Do you know we have a Heavenly Father like that? Amen. Do you know, have you ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where the Apostle Paul was talking about the children of Israel to the church at Corinth. He says, for many of them with God was not well pleased because they were complainers, they were murmurers, they were immoral, they were idolaters. And Paul was speaking to the church at Corinth because they were a carnal church. Now, the environment was not healthy. There was division in the house. 
There was sedition, there was idolatry, there was immorality, there was rebellion at the church at Corinth. And so Paul was dealing with these things. Paul wanted the blessing of the Lord to rest upon the church at Corinth, but because their focus and their priorities were off, but secondly, their relationship was not healthy. I remember telling this young lady, I said, I'd like you to go and I want you to bring your husband in. She says, you really made sense. I understand in the practical sense. She said this, my husband or my boyfriend and I, we need the Lord. How many of you know that that's what we want people to experience is the Lord? So she brought her boyfriend in. About a week later, her boyfriend comes in. He's a very cautious, sitting in front of me. And he, I could tell he was asking, what in the world did you do to my girlfriend? I mean, I, I could tell because she was really, uh, she was actually happy about coming. He wasn't. We got him in there, and I, I just, what I did in, in his presence is I just honored the guy. I didn't hit him over the head with the Bible. I just said, you know what? Uh, do you know that God has some amazing things for you up ahead? I didn't hit him on his gang banging and drinking and buzzing around and because there was obviously a lot of priorities out of his life. I mean, he, he was basically lost. Had a little bit of, he had a little bit of religion to make him dangerous, let me put it that way. Uh, but, but he didn't know the Lord. He'd never, ever heard the gospel in a very practical sense. And so the environment of their relationship was toxic all the time. Always negative. Always selfish. Always how I can get the upper hand. How sad, but that's the way some relationships are today. In order for us to change that kind of environment, amen, there's some things I want you to write down. Judy, can you help me on that? There's some things empowering. Number one, we need to take an honest evaluation of our relationship, amen? Everyone say honest evaluation. If I'm going to see some things change in my relationship, I need to look. I need to take an honest assessment and just say, where am I really at in my relationship? I remember sitting down with my wife, Carol, when we were first married, and we were just barking and having arguments and disagreements. Uh, And I'll never forget one time I took some of my issues to my pastor, and I thought that Brother Dick would side with me, being that we were men. Brother Dick, I'll never forget one time, short, long, I'll make it real quick. I remember one time I really got upset with Carol. In the second year of her marriage, my wife went, came home. She worked, I worked, we both worked outside. One day I come home to our apartment, and my wife, I thought, went overboard crazy because she went out and bought strawberry dishes, strawberry plates, strawberry cups, strawberry everything, strawberry curtains for the kitchen, everything. I came into the kitchen. It was a psychedelic strawberry garden. Everything was strawberries. And I said, this is it. I I couldn't believe Carol did that. And so I really thought I had some juicy, motivating stuff to get Brother Dick on my side. So I went went into council. Praise God. It's good to go to council. I went into Brother Dick. He met me at the Candlelight Restaurant. I'm sitting there, and I'm pouring all my soup out in front of Brother Dick. I said, Brother Dick, I can't believe Carol goes out. He buys strawberries, and she doesn't even talk to me about it. She doesn't even ask me, but she just buys the plates. I said, you ought to see the psychedelic kitchen we live in right now. Really, I was really working it up, by the way. It wasn't that bad. It was actually quite nice. But I was upset with her. And Brother Dick didn't say a word the whole hour I'm talking. 
at the end of my little spiel about my wife, as I'm tattling on her, he says, are you done? I said, yeah, I'm done. This is what he said. You know what you need, Ray? I said, what? More strawberries. <laughs> you need more strawberries. I said, what? What do you mean more strawberries? They said, Ray, you're smothering the girl. Let her breathe. Let her grow. Let, do you know the, the woman loves to decorate? That's not your place to decorate. That's the woman. Her, her, Ray, have you read Proverbs 31? How the woman loves to beautify her home. Part of the freedom, part of the joy in being a wife is they love to beautify and make their house a home. And what you're doing is being Mr. Controller and trying to supervise and dominate. Said, give it up. Yield it. Let go. Okay, oh, guess what I did? I had this attitude. Okay, fine. So I came home and I had attitude. Go ahead, Carol, buy more strawberry, do whatever you want. Now I went from one extreme to the other extreme. I was mad at that woman. But the real problem was, was in my heart. I did not, ex I had not known freedom. I did not understand freedom in relationships. I wasn't raised with freedom and relationship. I was raised in a home where, no, I was raised in, in the baby boomer generation. In the baby boomer ge generation, I remember my mother, and again, it's out of ignorance, but my mother used to say about kids, she says, you, your kids are to be seen but not heard. Just shut up and sit down. That, that, was, that was the environment I was raised in. You're to be seen but not heard. Just shut up. Okay. So, so there was no, I didn't understand the beauty of healthy, flowing, glowing freeing relationships. I didn't know that. When I got married, I didn't know that in the marriage I had this bondage. So guess what? I got afraid. And you know what? There's nothing worse than being married to a person who has the spirit of fear. You know why? Because when they got a spirit of fear, they want to control everything. Amen? Don't shout me down. Praise God. They want to control. Now, Pastor Way, should we have any control? Yes, I'm all for control, by the way, still. But I had over-control because it was a fear. And the Lord wanted to set me free. Amen. How many of you know? So I had to really take an honest evaluation. Here's the thing that I had to do. Let me, let me give you this really quickly, moving on. There are three things that you need to ask when taking an honest evaluation. Number one, who and what is the greatest influence in my life? Because whoever influences you is going to mold your mind and shape the way you think, and it's going to cause whatever influences you is the way, the kind of influence you're going to give off. And I begin to realize, I didn't have healthy people in my life when I was younger that I was, look, I was looking up to that gave me healthy guidance or direction. And so therefore, when I got married, I tormented my wife. I was not a good husband. Carol, don't say amen to that. Praise God. <clears throat> but I wasn't good. And so we needed a lot of prayer. We needed a lot of counsel. And by the way, thank God for leaders and pastors. By the way, I wanted to, I thank God Brother Dick confronted me where I was at. By the way, when my pastor confronted me, I cannot tell you how many times I came home to my wife and said, Carol, we are leaving this church. We're going to go to another church. And you know why? Because I didn't want to change. 
I didn't want anybody to say I was wrong. I wanted, I wanted someone in the church to side with me to beat up on her. I hate to tell you, what, wasn't that a bad, that's not a bad guy, that's bad. And just think, he's your pastor now, praise God. <laughs> that's why there's hope for you guys. God can change me, he can change you. But the second thing, we have to, we have to look at, in a, when an honest evaluation, the second thing, we have to look at what and where are we making our investments. In other words, what are you reading? What do you listen to? Who are the people that have a voice in your life? What do you invest in to increase and to develop the environment or the atmosphere in your home? You know what I come to find out? About 80 to 90% of Christians, according to Barna right now, 80 to 90% of most Christians in churches across America do not read any books. They're not reading. Do you know that one-third of most believers that claim to be Christians have not read their Bible in six months? One-third of believers in America, they're not reading the Bible. Guess what, folks? If you're not reading the Word, if you're not taking the Word of God in, you can't change. By the way, that's not condemnation. How many of you know the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I won't sin again. Thy word is life. It's a, it's a lamp unto my feet, a, a light to my path. I need the Word of God. Amen? Jesus said that I am the living bread that comes down. I need the Word. It feeds me. Praise God. So I had a, the, the third thing is this. The third question I uh, approached this young lady as well is that I need to ask myself, where and who do I turn to when I have problems? Do I turn to the world? Do I turn to my friends? Do I go to the Lord? I mean, how many of you believe this is important? I need, I need the Lord in my life. Jump over with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Boy, my time's moving. Philippians chapter 2. Listen to what it says, verse 1. Here's an environment. Here's a, here's a big answer <clears throat> to some of these questions. Is there any such thing as Christians cheering up others? In other words, is there any comfort of love? Do you love me enough to want to help me? Does it mean anything to you that we are brothers in the Lord sharing the same spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic at all? Then make me truly happy by loving each other and agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, working together with one heart and one mind and one purpose. Notice what he says in verse 3. Don't be selfish. Let's all say that together. Don't be selfish. Now, I can sit here and say, thou shalt not be selfish, and that's not going to work. That's not going to change us. But what, what breaks that heart of selfishness is when we're exposed to the great giving heart of God. When you come to see how great and how good He is to you, it makes you want to give like He's given to you. I don't want to communicate any thou shalt nots this morning, but what I want to convey, but Paul is saying here to the church at Philippi, he says, don't be selfish. Don't live to make good impressions on others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too, in what they are doing. Your attitude should be the kind that was shown us by Jesus Christ, who through, he, and though he was God, did not demand 
and cling to his rights as God, but laid aside his mighty power and glory, taking on the disguise of a slave, becoming like men, and he humbled himself even further, going so far to actually die on a criminal's death on a cross. And yet it was because of this that God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name which was above every other name, that at the name of Jesus' knee, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you say amen here? In other words, Paul is saying that if we're going to have comfort, if we're going to have love, he says we need to have the mind of Christ. What, is it, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? Well, number two, I need to make a decision. Everyone say decision. Can we, a decision. In other words, in my home, if I want the environment to change, I need to verbalize and declare to my wife and to my kids, guys, this home is going to be a Christian home. We're going to serve God. I remember sitting down as we grow old. Carol and I have grown older in the Lord. We both held hands in front of our boys. We made a decision. We're going to serve God. How many of you believe that if you want a Christian home, mom and dad need to talk about God once in a while? I know we can talk about school and job and work and money and politics and and school and everything else. But if you don't ever talk about the Lord, guess what? Your kids are not going to think God is important. One one thing I think it's important. We got to love one another. The mind of Christ involves loving one another, speaking faith in one another. One of the things that I so appreciate about my wife, and I mean this sincerely, when I was so full of fear and insecurity, Carol kept saying these words. Over 36 years, 35, 34 years, I'll never forget it. She said, Ray, I know we've gone through a lot in our marriage, but I still believe in you. That blew me away. Because things that I said to her, I did not deserve that back. But you know what that did to me? It made me want to be a better husband, even though I was a crummy husband to her. She kept saying, I believe in you, Ray, because I'm calling those things that are not as though they are. And I'm going to believe, God, you will be a mighty man of God, and we're going to have a... It was my wife that said that. I hate to tell you, folks, but I was the first one that threw, threw out the D word. I said, I want a divorce! I told my wife that. I'll never forget one time we both took off our rings together and threw them in the toilet, and then we went and got them. We're done. Our marriage is done. Oh, yeah, Pastor Ray, you actually, yeah, we went through that. We took them. Oh, you're taking your ring. I'll take my ring off. We were in a battle for until four in the morning. And finally, Carol made sense. Ray, this is not a Christian home. This is not the way Christians act. We have an environment that is earthly, sensual, and devilish, and quarreling. It's all because we're selfish and focuses on ourselves. We're not letting the Holy Spirit reign in our life. I hate to say it, but I, didn't, I said to her, stop preaching at me. She was dead right, but I didn't want to hear that. Because my pride was so inflated. I didn't want to hear that. I go away. And the Holy Spirit, thank God the Holy Spirit didn't give up on me. He said, Ray, 
You are at a crossroads right now. You can humble yourself, go back, and tell your wife you were wrong. Or if you want to harden your hearts, the little ping of the... How many of you ever heard the ping of the Holy Spirit? Eventually, the little ping stops pinging. And then you move into deception and then ultimately reprobate. And the Lord was warning me that my first church was my wife. And if I cannot nurture my wife, I have no business taking care of children of the house of the Lord. God really warned me, dealt with me. Our environment was toxic because the head was sick, but I had to confront it. But then when we confront, aren't you thankful though? Listen, listen. I don't care how bad or how crooked or how low you've gone. I don't care how far you've gone down. God's grace is strong enough, mighty enough to reach to the lowest pit and he's able to pull you out. And the Bible says, if you humble yourself, he will lift you up. I'm going to tell you, God's hand does two things. God's hand will either push you down or his hand will lift you up. Isaiah says it this way, that God comes to make every valley lifted up, but to bring every mountain down. There are mountain people and there are valley people. Mountain people only think about themselves. They're only ambitious. They're only focused on what I can get, what I can do, having the last word. It's my way or the highway. Those are mountain people. God says he resists the proud. I've been there. When my prayers don't go through the ceiling. When my prayer, I've been there out of his love. He's not hearing my prayers. He loves me as a father. He chastens me. But I'll tell you, I've been at the woods, the spiritual woodshed, and it is not fun. But when I've humbled myself, he was there to lift me up. He was there to heal me. He was there to say, you're my son. I love you enough. The Bible says, for whom the Lord loves, what does he do? Oh, I thought he said he spoiled him. Didn't say that. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Because if you cannot receive chasten, he says, you're bastards. You're illegitimate. We need to have balance in the church. We need this message. We need to understand that the decision, I have made a decision to follow Jesus. I recognize the importance. We need to verbalize. Number three, the third thing that is so important is we need to feed our faith. We need to feed. My wife and I, feeding our faith involves this. If you're going to change the environment, my wife and I begin to call each other women and we begin to show the importance of learning to be flexible. Everyone say flexible. In order for you to have a healthy environment, you're going to have to be flexible. You're going to have to actually give in. You're going to have to give up. You're going to have to let her have that last word. and You're going to have to accept strawberry. By the way, do you know right now I like strawberry? <laughs> I have been changed. I like your strawberry plant. I really do. I like strawberry. She has changed me. Praise God. I know I'm laughing. You may be laughing, but I mean I, I, I mean, I actually started liking things she likes. They're in the attic, but I mean, we still pull them down once in a while. They're not in the attic because I put them up there, though. That's another message right there. But, uh, but, but it's amazing 
when you're married to someone long enough, guess what? She starts looking like me, and I start looking like her. We just kind of blend. How many of you know when you've been long enough, you can almost talk without talking? You can read each other's mind. On my wife, she can read my mind. I don't even talk, and she knows exactly where I'm going. Almost a dangerous thing, but she really knows what I'm thinking. But that's a good thing. But we feed our faith. How do we feed our faith? We begin to feed ourselves by empowering identity. We empower each other with the kind of faith that says, Ray, I know you're going to make it. With what we went through, we were able to do that with our sons. We raised our sons to believe that God has a mighty call on their life. Not just for career. We didn't just prepare them for college. Not just to get a career and make money and dress stylish. We prepared our, our kids and we prophesied destiny over That's how you feed the faith of your family. Your kids need to hear it, Dad, Mom. They need to hear you say, you have destiny. God's hand is on you. You're going to be a history maker. You're going to make an impact. You may say, well, Pastor, I can't do that. I'm like, they're rebellious. They don't do what I say. I'm not going to say those kind of things. That would be a lie. No, that's not the way it works, folks. You may be living with a rebel. Your kids may be routed. They're actually waiting for somebody to believe in them and put vision in them. That's the way you raise champions. You tell them they're more than conquerors. You know, we have a generation of young men. I went, I went to an Every Man's Battle conference here a couple of years ago, and one of the things that really blew me away was most of the men that were my age at this Every Man's Battle conference that had to do with moral, morality and things like this. I'm going to have to close right now. But I remember going to that conference, and, and a question was asked by one of the conference leaders. How many men here have ever had the affirmation and the, uh, the kind of faith from a father that came to you because or came because or without the fact that you did some kind of a performing feat? In other words, how many of you have ever been affirmed or shown the kind of faith from a father because you didn't do something, but just because of who you were? Many of them could not raise their hand. In other words, many of them were basically saying, if I made the football team, if I got the touchdown, if I got the good grades, that's when I got affirmed. But I was never affirmed just because I am who I am. That was profound. How many of you know that we need to affirm our family members just for who they are, not for what they do? We need to let them know they're going to win. Not because they get the uh, grade point average. Not just because they, they mow the lawn grade or, oh, I'm so proud of my son, I'm proud of you because you made the team. Or you play so well. Or you do so well. That's what we've always thought. We affirm them because they do something. Guess what we're actually teaching our children? We're teaching them that approval comes by performance. And that's not the way we gain approval in the kingdom. We're approved of God through Jesus Christ whether we do anything right or wrong. He loves us, he approves of us, and we need to affirm that to our children and to our spouses. I need to feed the faith. If you don't feed the faith of destiny, 
in your children, guess what? Their friends at school will feed their faith. I'll never forget my brother Ron. My brother Ron and I grew up in the same home. He's a year younger than me. He's had a lot of challenges. He had alcoholism. He was an alcoholic when he was a senior in high school. He grew up, it's amazing, but he grew up needing, had a lot of pain, a lot of issues in his life, but he was looking for the affirmation and affection and, and the kind of, of faith from a father that, and our dad, good man, my dad is a great car, but my dad did not know how to communicate because he had a father that didn't communicate to him. It was a generational issue. My brother Ron was lonely in high school. He was so thirsty for attention, uh, affirmation, and so he, because he didn't find it at home, he found it among his friends at school. And his friends began to set him up for curse. They said, hey, Ron, Ron, let's go out. We all go out, guess what? You want to be with us? He got to smoke some weed, man. Got to start drinking. So Ron started drinking. This is what he said. He, he, he's gone through AA. Thank God he's been uh, free from alcohol for a couple years now. But alcohol put him in prison. He lost jobs. He lost his first marriage just because of the mishandling, the imbalance of, of drinking. But he said, Ray, I hate alcohol. But I started it young because I wanted friends. I wanted to be accepted. And I never told dad. I never told mom. So I found the solace. I found it in friends. But they would only accept me if I would get drunk with them and stone and if I would steal with them. And he says, Ray, you don't even know half the stuff. That's what my brother used to tell. He says, you don't even know half the stuff that I used to do. And he says, you know the amazing thing? When I went to prison, when I lost my wife, all my friends that got me into this mess were nowhere to be found. Some friends. Some friends. But you know, Ron, I believe he's on the right track. God's doing a, a great work in his life. He's 57, I'm 58 as a year old. You know, God's still healing my family, still working on my family. But I want to tell you something. How many of you believe God wants to change the atmosphere? He wants to reconstruct. We serve a God who's a restoring God. Amen? How many of you got something this morning out of this? Amen? How many of you know God wants to rebuild he wants to rebuild our vision, rebuild our relationship. He wants to give you hope. That's what the gospel is all about. But the gospel has to have teeth. The gospel has to have feet. We need to know how to apply it. We need to know how to work it. We need to know how this works in our life. Amen? I want you to bow your head. Let me just ask this question. How many of you may say, Pastor Ray, I want to see a change in the atmosphere in my life, my marriage, or even just in my own life. I've allowed fear, I've allowed brokenness to dictate my life, but I want my life to be full of vision and faith. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right now. I see your hand. See your hand. Amen. Mighty men and women of God. Mighty men and women of God. Uh, can we all stand to our feet right now? In fact, I, I want to do something. I, I want us all to take hands. Because I know we have families that stand, and some family members. I want us all to stand. Carol, would you come over and stand with me? I want my wife to come over here. I, uh, I, come up on here. 
I, I want to tell you something. I appreciate this woman who prayed for me and forgave me and believed in me when I was a rascal. I thank God for what she did. And I know it was the grace of God on her life. This is a mighty woman of God. I so appreciate Carol. You know, the, do you know that my wife is my best friend? That's what the heart of intimacy is. She's just not a roommate. She's my best friend. My boys are my best friends, and they're our daughter-in-laws. But God wants to restore a healthy atmosphere, and he can. Do you know he believes in you more than you believe in you? He will never shut you away, but he wants you to open your heart, not harden it, don't get bitter, but be responsive. I believe the Lord is going to heal us so we can in turn bring the healing power to those in a broken world that we live in. You know why God showed mercy to me? Is so that I would have mercy towards others. The reason why, if any of you have walked through a crisis, if ever any of you have been abused or hurt, I want you to know, Satan does not write the last chapter in your life. God does. God writes the last chapter, and he's going to be glorified even through the worst abuse situation in your life. And we're, we're going to see some healing take place in this house with people in the weeks to come. We're going to see relationships restored. I believe that. Let's just pray, and then I'm going to pray over the food we'll be released to go eat. Father, we thank you for the vision. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. Lord, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us spouses to pray for us, stand with us, believe in us, and speak life. Father, thank you for leaders and pastors who help direct and guide us, Lord, towards the ways of wisdom. Father, our desire today is to see your kingdom come, your will be done in us. Lord, our desire is to follow you. Lord, I pray you'll touch every hand that was raised, every home. Lord, I ask you, Lord, to give them vision, give them hope, because that hope is what purifies our hearts this morning. For it is your desire and your plan, Lord, to give us a hope and a future, because the thoughts you think are thoughts of good and not evil, to give us a hope. Lord, be with this house. Be with every church. Lord, strengthen families. Strengthen fathers and mothers. We bind the powers of darkness. We bind any spirit of bitterness or anger or unforgiveness in Jesus' name. We ask you, Lord, to have your way in our life. Have your way in us, Lord. Let the love of God, let the kindness of Jesus be demonstrated in us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a hug, and let's go have lunch together. Amen.